Afghanistan's constitutional future has been the subject of intense, suspenseful political negotiation between the two men for the last two months and a little more. When the two candidates announced on September the 21st, 22nd that they had finally reached an agreement on the changed constitutional position, the man who had pressured them into negotiating in the first place, U.S. Secretary of State John F. Kerry, extolled the achievement, quote, These two men have put the people of Afghanistan first, and they've ensured that the first peaceful democratic transition in the history of their country begins with national unity. Yet, as Ashraf Ghani is sworn in this coming Monday, it is too soon to be certain that the transition will be peaceful and that Afghan national unity will be sustained. It is also too soon to be certain that Afghans have got what they were looking for. As the election began a long time ago, one top American official thought that, quote, Afghans and those who wish them well want above all an election outcome in which the clear majority of Afghans consider their new leader to be legitimate, unquote. So what has happened? To reprise, it has probably been the longest election period ever in Asia, lasting altogether just seven days short of 12 months. This time last year... 27 potential candidates were submitting their nominations to Afghanistan's Independent Election Commission, the IEC, by the deadline on October 6, 2013. On the 22nd of October 2013, 16 of those 27 were disqualified, leaving 11 candidates to contest the election. Then, on the 25th of November, the IEC announced the order in which the 11 would appear on the ballot paper. Nine of the 11 had been registered as independents, indicating that political personalities rather than political parties still dominate the Afghan political scene. Among the 11 candidates, there were no less than two former foreign ministers, two former finance ministers and one former defence minister. These former top ministers illustrated the weak position of political parties in Afghanistan in another way, in their tendency to appoint those otherwise known as warlords as one of their two vice-presidential candidates. Rod Norland, reporting to the New York Times last February, noted that Ashraf Ghani had called General Abdul Rashid Dostum a, quote, known killer, unquote, during the previous 2009 election campaign. Then Dostum was supporting President Hamid Karzai for re-election. This year, Nordland noted, quote, Mr. Ghani simply calls General Dostum my running mate. This coming Monday, Dostum will be sworn in as Ghani's vice president. But the warlords have not been the crucial election controversy, after all. This aspect of the election, the continuing role of warlords, naturally secures a great deal of adverse comment in foreign publications. But the reality remains that those whom the West often calls warlords are very often men who are highly influential in their particular areas of the country. Nordland estimated no less than six of the original 11 candidates for the presidency, 
include at least one candidate on their ticket who is widely viewed as a warlord, with past policies directly at odds with Western attempts to improve human rights. But it was also noted that, quote, many warlords have been recipients of American support and cash in the past, unquote. By polling day on April 5th, 2014, three more candidates out of the 11 have withdrawn, leaving eight candidates remaining in the contest. The IEC was generally credited with having done a very thorough job registering the voters, and a record 6.6 million Afghans voted. Abdullah Abdullah emerged on top with very nearly 3 million votes, or 45% of the total vote. Ashraf Ghani Ahmadzai was the runner-up with a little over 2 million votes, or 31.6% of the total vote. Interestingly, Abdullah Abdullah won a clear majority of votes in 15 of the 34 Afghan provinces, while Ashraf Ghani won an outright majority in only eight provinces. But since no candidate won 50% of the total vote, these two candidates were required to contest a runoff election originally set for May the 28th, but which eventually took place on June the 14th. Interest in the runoff was very high, and at that time the election commission recorded that 7.9 million voters, another record, voted their choice. But while votes for Abdullah Abdullah increased from 2.9 million to 3.5 million, Ashraf Ghani's vote more than doubled from 2 to 4.5 million. So Abdullah Abdullah's share of the vote declined from 45 to 43.6%, while Ashraf Ghani's increased from 31.6 to a potentially winning 56.4%. In the last presidential election in 2009, Abdullah Abdullah had withdrawn from a runoff election against President Hamid Karzai, alleging his massive fraud, though he still obtained 30% of that vote. Clearly, in 2014, a second runoff defeat was just too much as far as Abdullah Abdullah was concerned. He immediately refused to accept the preliminary results for the same reason. Abdullah claimed that massive industrial fraud, presumably he means by that ballot stuffing on a grand scale, were the cause of Ashraf Ghani's massively increased vote. Ashraf Ghani's team has maintained its increased vote came about because of better organisation and an increased turnout by his fellow ethnic Pashtuns. Abdullah Abdullah is part Pashtun and part Tajik, but his electoral strength comes from the Tajik community. The claims and counterclaims raise the spectre in the United States and NATO embassies of the war in Afghanistan drawing to an end amidst a communal bloodbath. Tensions attained a heightened degree of intensity after Abdullah announced that he would declare himself the winner on his own. Early in July, the growing tension brought U.S. Secretary of State John F. Kerry winging his way across the Pacific to Kabul to see if he could extract a political compromise from emotional intransigence. After 12 hours of intense negotiations with the two candidates, 
plus actual shuttle diplomacy within the U.S. Embassy, Kerry appeared at a press conference with Abdullah Abdullah and Ashraf Ghani to announce their agreement to an audit of all the votes in the runoff election, an arduous task which quickly began in some hot Kabul warehouses. Every single ballot that was cast will be audited, Kerry said, without clearly stipulating what this would mean. Auditing normally applies to questionable financial accounts, but how does it apply to questionable votes? But what Kerry said next immediately generated hope. Quote, This is unquestionably a tense and difficult moment, but I am pleased that the two candidates who stand here with me today and President Karzai have stepped up and shown a significant commitment to compromise, unquote. What that commitment entailed was initially a secret, but it has gradually become obvious, and it should become completely clear during the ceremonies this coming week. The indications were and are that a government of national unity will be established implying constitutional change with the creation of a prime ministership alongside the presidency. Kerry may have correctly seen that a presidential election in the Afghan context fatally aroused a highly negative all-or-nothing-at-all political outlook. What Kerry almost certainly did not see is just how long it would take to flesh out and agree on that commitment to compromise. It required that Kerry himself make several rush visits to Kabul to keep the compromises going during the next two months. Kerry himself had to make numerous phone calls to the principals. Sometimes Obama made them too. A constant theme of his pressure was that the attaining and sustaining of the compromise must come before seeking personal advantage. We simply do not know enough right now of what was going on during all the secret negotiations to pass a comprehensive judgment. The preliminary promise to compromise has been fleshed out by just over two months of intense negotiation before the two candidates felt free to sign an initial agreement on their power-sharing government of Afghanistan. The atmosphere between the two men on that occasion was cool. They sent their spokesman to a subsequent press conference rather than participate in it themselves. Then there was the audit of, as promised, every single one of the 7.9 million votes cast in the runoff election. At the very least, it has to be conceded that this was a feat of organisation. Hundreds of auditors had to be employed to plod through every single vote in every single ballot box. At least 410 of them were provided by the United Nations in a rush, some of them being flown in just for the task. It is to be hoped that at least one of these auditors had the good sense to keep a hefty notebook which can be turned later into a fascinating book. As far as can be seen, no evidence was turned up proving or even clearly indicating the industrial-scale fraud which Abdullah Abdullah alleged. But that did not deter Abdullah from sticking to his contention and causing an additional last-minute crisis by insisting that the result of the audit and therefore the result of the runoff election should not be publicly released to the Afghan people. So far, this demand has been accepted, reluctantly by the election commission.
The people of Afghanistan have not yet been told the final result of the election which determined who should be their next president. But naturally, the New York Times found a way around the news blackout. According to the figures which it provided, as a result of the audit, 852,142 out of the 7.97 million votes cast in the runoff election were considered invalid because of fraud. Of those 852,000 fraudulent ballots, 67% were cast for Ashraf Ghani, while 33% were for Abdullah Abdullah. So Ashraf Ghani still won the runoff election with 3.94 million votes, or 55%, while Abdullah Abdullah received 3.19 million valid votes, or 45%. After all the energy and effort invested in checking the runoff vote, Abdullah's vote went up by one percent, and Ashraf Ghani's went down by one percent. But at least the protracted audit of the vote acted as a kind of shroud behind which the complex negotiations for the part presidential, part prime ministerial political compromise between Ashraf Ghani and Abdullah could proceed. The events of this coming week, starting with the expected swearing-in of President Ghani on Monday, plus the possible swearing-in of Chief Executive Abdullah Abdullah, will indicate whether Afghanistan is heading at last for some badly needed stability, or a further bout of political insecurity.